Genesis. We will begin in verse 17 of chapter 14. We read these verses last Sunday morning as we talked about Abram's return from the battle against Keredolomer and the three kings of the north. Abram, his men, and the prisoners of wars that he has set free and all the stuff and the spoils of war, they're on the highway headed from North Canaan to South Canaan at the end of the Dead Sea in the area that he lived and where Lot lived in Sodom. And as they're passed by Salem or what will become Jerusalem, as they stop in the valley of the kings, they are met there by two kings. They're met there by the king of Sodom, Bera by name, and the king of Salem, Melchizedek by name. So begin reading in verse 17. After his return from the de- defeat of Keredolomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shabal, that is the king's valley. Verse 19 says, or verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, kind of like we had this morning. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, El Elyam, we talked about that last week, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Melchizedek, an interesting name. I've typed it enough in the last 24 hours that now I can spell it. (laughs) A mysterious person in the scripture. We have not heard of him before in the book of Genesis, and it will be another almost a thousand years before we hear his name again. Uh, Moses, though, is inspired by God. Remember, the scripture is God-breathed. God inspired. God moved upon the hearts of men to write the things that they wrote. And as he's writing about Abram, who is the father of our faith, he's going to be the father of the nation of Israel, the grandfather of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and who was the father of the 12 tribes that became Israel. Moses is now leading them out from Egypt through the wilderness toward the promised land. And so he is writing and sharing with them this history. He writes about this king of Salem, who is also a priest of God Most High. This is one of those stories that would be very easy to, okay, I've read Melchizedek, and just keep on going. So Abram met the king of Salem. He met the king of Sodom. That's night. It might be great information if we're playing Jeopardy and you happen to have a section come up on Bible history to know about Melchizedek. However, since the Bible is the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end, I don't think we can just read these verses and move on. Because Melchizedek, as it turns out, is a very important character in the story of the life of the Messiah. Melchizedek is a very important character in the story of the Messiah. 
How many of you have Bibles that have cross-references in the margins? You know, they got... I have several of them. I have one in the King James, the New American Standard, the NIV, the SV, and I think I got another one too. But in verse 18, in my English Standard Version Bible, there are three small letters as superscript. They're at the top right next to some words. Those three small letters, as I go over to the column where it says verse 18, or it says 18 in bold, and then it has a list of verses that are connected to those little superscripts. In verse 18, there are nine other verses in the Bible that are directly connected to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of God Most High. All directly connected to that man and who came out to bless Abram. The Bible is the most profound book in the world. That's a cue. The Bible is the most profound book in the world. God breathed. The Holy Spirit moving on the hearts of men. At least 42 of them, separated by 2,000 years from the first writer to the last writer. 66 different books or letters, however you might want to call them. I am so thankful for the cross-references in my study Bibles. Because, and my Thompson chain does it a whole different way, but I can just start going and and before you know it, I have an hour and a half sermon. And we got lots of scriptures today because of cross-references. So when I start reading the cross-references, it's kind of like all you older people like me will remember Paul Harvey. And that's the rest of the story. Melchizedek appearing in Genesis 14 That's not the end of the story. We're going to talk about the rest of the story. A few days ago, I was listening to a a message uh, by Louis Giglio as he was uh, talking about Advent to his congregation over there in Georgia someplace. In that message, he referred to a superscript in their lesson text for the day. And he reminded them of something he'd shared a few weeks before in a message that just blew my mind. Got your attention now? He has made the observation. Now, I don't know. It had to be somebody who was just a mathematical geek or they had an incredible logarithm that they plugged into the computer. But he was able to graph and show them a graph where there are 63,779 times in the Bible where one verse is referred to someplace else in the Bible. 63,779 times. Now, if you want to check up on him, I'm not going to take the time. 
But I began to look at my columns and how many. The thing about that is that shows you that from the beginning to the end, it is one unique story that God told over a period of 2,000 years. And the amazing thing is it's still just alive today as it was when they wrote it down. It's living. It's living. It's God's Word. I'm just, the more I read it, the more I am amazed about how God put it together. So today we're going to talk a little bit about this man, Melchizedek. Let's start with what we're told about him by Moses. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest of Most High God. He was the king of Salem and the priest of Most High God. He had dual authority, which would not have been the norm in most cultures of that day, and it would definitely not be the norm when Moses sets up the government and the, and the theological wings of the Israeli people there in the wilderness because there needed to be a balance of power, accountability. And so he never set it up so that the king would also be the priest. And in the Israeli thing, the the, the priests were all to be from one family, Aaron, and his son Levi. That would be the high priest up until the time that there are no more priests. And in AD 70, they came to the end of the tabernacle or the temple, the end of the sacrifices. And so now you have rabbis, but you don't hear about Jewish priests. In the scripture, we read where Saul the king, he decided Samuel, who was the priest, was late, so he decided to offer the sacrifice that Samuel said, I'm going to come and offer. It cost him his kingdom. King Uzziah, he thought he could go into the Holy of Holies and present the incense before God. Uzziah, one of the most godly kings that Judah had, but because of his crossing the line from king to priest, he was stricken with leprosy and spent the rest of his life in exile outside of the city gates. So when it says that he was both the king and a priest, a very unique situation, a very unique situation. Number two, Melchizedek was a priest of God in the land of Canaan. You say, so what? The land of Canaan. Remember who Canaan was? Canaan was the son of Ham who was cursed because of Ham's sin against his father. In the land of Canaan, when Abram comes there from Ur of the Chaldees, he discovers that they are a people who are polytheistic. They worship all kinds of God. But in the middle of that polytheistic nation, these people that God's going to tell Moses to to wipe them off the face of the earth, here is a man who is a priest unto the living God. God always has a remnant. 
God always has a remnant. It's interesting to me as I, I look at the situations around the world where communism has tried to stomp out Christianity, where the Muslims try to stomp out and eradicate. You ever played whack-a-mole? The more people they kill, the more people that are born again. The more they try to burn down churches, the bigger the church gets underground and the kingdom of God goes forth because God will always have a people. Melchizedek, a man of God in the midst of a world that did, did not acknowledge the Most High God. Melchizedek, a man preaching there's a living God who reigns and rules over everything that we see. I'm going to look at some of the cross-references that we see. Like the next one is about a thousand years later when King David is writing in Psalms 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This psalm is definitely prophesying the coming of the Messiah. And he says, this Messiah, you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But back in verse 2, he said this, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. He's saying the Messiah is going to be a king, and he's going to be a priest. Next time we read of the name of Melchizedek, is another thousand years or so after David. A preacher, we don't know his name, but he's writing a letter. Some people believe it's a sermon to the Jewish followers of Jesus Christ who are being tempted to go back to their Jewish roots, to leave Christianity and go back to the temple worship and everything they grew up with because of the persecution that's taken place, the Roman Empire and the Jews doing everything they can to stomp out people of the way. That's what they called them at that time. And so he's writing to them, listen, God has provided for you a better covenant, a better priest, a better plan, sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't go back. Hold on to your faith. And we read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a quote from the Old Testament. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Verse 10, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now at this point in the book of Hebrews, there's an interesting thing that takes place. He puts a parenthetical, a sidebar in his sermon. And he says to them, by now, I should be able to give you the meat of the word, but you're still babes in Christ and you still want milk. 
And he begins talking to them in chapter 6 about some of the basic things that they need to embrace and live out. And then as he, as he comes to the end of chapter 6, verse 19, he said this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. You know the curtain, that's where they went to the mercy seat, spread the blood of atonement. Jesus went there for us. And listen to this, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, verse 1 of chapter 7, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Don't you love it when the Bible interprets the Bible? Makes it pretty easy. The writer of Hebrews is one of these Jewish believers to understand their hope is based on the fact that Jesus is both their king and their priest. Number three on your notes, Melchizedek was a prophetic picture of Jesus the king and Jesus the priest. He was a prophetic picture of Jesus the king and Jesus the priest. One of the ways that we learn things and remember them well is by attaching them to a story. Whether the stories be real life or Jesus made up stories and called them a parable. Doesn't matter a whole lot. But the Bible is full of stories. Real ones, parables, numerous metaphors in the Scripture using something from the physical world to illustrate a spiritual truth. Now, Melchizedek was a real person, but the story is told as a metaphor to help the Bible student recognize the Messiah and what he came to do. Jesus the king, Jesus the priest. Now, I have found pages and pages and pages of what scholars have written about Melchizedek and Jesus. One of those pages was by F.B. Meyer, a man from yesteryear, and he looked at the life of Jesus as priest and king. He said, as priest, Jesus pitied, helped, and fed men. As king, he ruled the waves. As priest, Jesus uttered the sublime intercessory prayer of John chapter 17. As king, Jesus spoke the I will of divine prerogative. As priest, Jesus pleaded for his murderers. Father, forgive them. As king, he spoke 
paradise to the dying thief. His kingship was attested by the posting on the cross, King of the Jews. As priest, Jesus breathed peace on his disciples. As king, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father where he ever makes intercession for you and I as our king and our priest. So the scripture tells us Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Verse 2 that we read in chapter 7, he is first by translation of his name king of righteousness. Morally right is one definition of righteous. A biblical definition of righteous would be one that has not broken any of God's commands. You never miss the mark. Righteousness means there is no sin. Salem means peace, king of peace. Verse 2, he's the, that's what it says. Righteousness and peace are both attributes and promises of Jesus. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ was born of the increase, as Isaiah 9-7, of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh, I guess we should put verse 6, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. John wrote these words about Jesus in second, or first John, second chapter, verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We got a lawyer with Father, Jesus Christ, who? The righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, how we need the king of righteousness. Paul quoted from two different Psalms when he addressed the Romans in Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And I forgot to put it on your notes, but Romans 3.23 said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember what we read about culture before God flooded the earth in Noah's day. Genesis 6, 5, that every intention and thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. 
Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 64, 6, we've all become like one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The NIV said they're like filthy rags. The footnote says, The polluted garment of filthy rags refers to the cloth a woman uses during her period. And at that time when she was unclean, according to the law of Leviticus, to enter into the court of women to worship. Number six, Jesus is the king of righteousness. He's the king of righteousness, born of a virgin. He was not born a sinner. The Bible tells us he was sinless. He lived as a man. He's called the son of man because he came into the earth in human form. He lived in total obedience to the Father and the demands of the written law. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way such as you and I, yet without sin. Jesus Christ the righteous, that is his very nature, his very character. He was sinless. As the king of righteousness, Jesus paid the full price for our sins. We remember that today as we partook of the cup. He paid the full price for our sins. 1 John 2, 2 says this, He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Propitiation, in other words, he is the appeasement. He paid the total cost. That's what Jesus meant when he said from the cross, it is finished. That's what they would write on an invoice that had been paid in full. It is finished finished. The debt has been paid in full. As the king of righteousness, he imparts righteousness to every believer. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The scripture says that. But not everybody will go to heaven. Not everybody will be made righteous. There's a requirement. You must be a believer in your heart, not just your head. A believer that commits yourself to follow Jesus Christ. Romans 3.21 said this, Now the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. The righteousness of God, he said, as apart from law, he said, you can't, the law came to show us you're a sinner. None of us can keep the law. That's why Jesus came, to keep the law. The only place on earth you can be found righteous in the eyes of God is to be in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ be in you. It's a matter of faith in what he's done and what he's doing. You cannot earn righteousness. You cannot buy righteousness. You cannot accomplish righteousness by your own power 
in any way, shape, or form. To live the Christian life is impossible without Jesus. You can become a self-righteous Pharisee, but that won't save you. It's all about Jesus, about dependence upon him, on his holy word. Number seven, Jesus is the king of peace. Jesus is the king of peace. Somebody did a survey of a particular crowd. They said, if you could choose what you want most in life, what would your answer be? And they answered what I've often answered to my grandkids when they said, what do you want for Christmas or your birthday? I want peace on earth. I want peace. Peace. Almost everybody in their right mind wants peace. We want peace in our marriage. We want peace in our family relationships. We want peace where we go to work or where we go to school. We want peace in our nation. We want peace around the world. We don't want war in any way, shape, or form. We have been privileged in this nation to have some of the best hospitals, the best schools, the best mental health facilities you can find any place in the world. Yet our society is dominated by millions of people who have zero peace inside. And when I speak of the world, I speak of it in a biblical sense. The culture that does not acknowledge there is a living God that we will all answer to. This world will offer you, you say, if you do this, you'll find peace, escapism in some way, drugs, alcohol, immoral relationships, constant entertainment. Your phone is always, if you're playing games, it's always telling you this will give you peace of mind, it'll be so restful. They're liars. Peace, the world says, you find it in forms of pleasure, self-satisfaction, positive thinking. Many believe that peace is the absence of trouble. They refuse to face the problems of life, believing that's finding peace. The world has never found real peace. You see, to have real peace, one must be at peace with God. To have real peace, one must be at peace with God. Romans 5.1 said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes later on there that before you came to Christ, we were enemies with Christ, and we didn't even know it. Reading about the life of Charles Wesley, Charles Wesley was a very diligent preacher of the gospel as a young man. When he was 30 years old, he became very ill. He was so sick that he wasn't sure he would live, and the people looking at him weren't sure he was going to live. At the time, he was in the process of mentoring a young Moravian named Peter Bowler to be prepared for being a missionary. And one day, Peter says to Charles, do you hope to be saved? 
What's the reply? With a solid yes. And Peter went on to ask, what is the reason for your hope? And Wesley replied, because I've used my best endeavors to serve God. I've used my best endeavors to serve God. And the Moravian just shook his head, remained silent, and walked away. That response shook Wesley to the very core of who he was. Through more conversation with Peter, his eyes were open to the fact that our justification and peace with God is not by our great works. It's by faith. It's by believing with all of your heart that Jesus paid the price and rose from the grave in order for our sins to be forgiven and blotted out on the page in the Lamb's Book of Life. That didn't mean he quit preaching. He preached even harder. But it was for a different reason. It was a result of that moment in his life when he was truly, he would say, converted, even though he had been preaching for years, that he wrote the most, one of his most famous hymns, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs, of his grace. Verse 4, one of my favorite verses. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Our hope need only rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, resurrected from the grave, our Redeemer. Our righteousness is not about our righteousness. Our righteousness is the gift of the imputation, the transfer of the righteousness of Christ credited, as it were, to our account. When we come and pray to the Father, forgive me. Jesus says to the Father, put that on my account. It's paid for. It's paid for. At the debt you could never pay, but the King of righteousness paid it for us. Peace with God leads to peace of God. Peace with God leads to the peace of God. John 14, 27. On the night before Jesus is going to die, the thing that they can't believe is going to happen, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, I don't think any one of the 11 guys sitting in the room when Jesus said those words embraced those words that night. Because later on, they all run away. And then on Sunday night, they're all gathered together, hiding in fear. 
when suddenly Jesus just drops into the room physically. They think he's a ghost. You remember the story? Well, see, see the wounds. Give me something to eat. But when he comes into the room, you know what he said? Peace be with you. And then he said again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, the King of Peace, we can experience peace on three levels. Number one, the peace with God. I keep coming back to that because if you don't have peace with God, none of the rest matters. Number two, I can have peace within. Peace within. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard me share the story of Kelly facing a mastectomy, two types of cancer in her body. Tears, yes. Questions, yes. Fear she wouldn't be able to see her son grow up, but she said this. Underneath it all, I have a peace. I have a peace within. She had a friend ask her, how can you have such peace? Explained, because it's peace with God. I have peace within. Number three, which means that we can live at peace with one another. We can live at peace with one another. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus has given to us grace that we do not ex- ex- deserve. In that grace is the power and the command to forgive one another. P.S. If you choose not to forgive someone, you will forfeit your inner peace. Read Matthew 18. You will forfeit your peace with God. Jesus said, right after he taught the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, we call it the Lord's Prayer, if you do not forgive one another, the Father cannot forgive you. Peace with God, peace within, peace with one another. Jesus is king and priest forever. He is king and priest forever. Here's one of the reasons I said Melchizedek is a mystery man. Verse 3 of chapter 7, he's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Now, this is one of the verses in the Bible that opens itself to all kinds of explanations, many of them very fanciful. A man without a father or mother? The most important word in this context, I believe, is genealogy. We do not have a record at this moment as to who his parents were. We don't know exactly when he was born. We don't know when he died. It's because the Jewish way of learning is by stories. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he ended up. 
He was not like the line of, of Aaron's priesthood. Those priests start serving at 30, then they would be, at the age of 50 or 60, they would be put out the pasture, and they all died, and, and they just kept on going down the line. We don't know how Melchizedek became a priest in the first place. We don't know where he died. And so it's a picture. Jesus came in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there. He had no beginning. Now, I, you can't comprehend that, nor can I, but it's the truth. He was there. Revelations 1, 17 said this, John having a vision of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Hebrews 7.25 said this. And by the way, if you want to read more about Melchizedek, go read Hebrews chapter 7 all the way through. It's all about Melchizedek. Verse 25 says, Consequently, talking about Jesus, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's my king and my priest forever. He's the priest who took the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies. Not only was he the priest, he was the lamb. He's everything that you and I might be redeemed, born again. We live in a world where things change. Nothing's stable. If we look to people to be our saviors, we'll find that they'll change. They'll move away. They'll abandon us. Even the good ones die. If we look to institutions of this world to be our saviors, you will find them to be inadequate. If we look to society, government, education, wealth, each in its turn will fail us. What we need is an eternal mediator, one who will never change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Able to save not just today, tomorrow, but every day that will come forever. We need one when life is ended, he'll still be there. A priest in the order of Melchizedek. If you don't get anything else, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. I typed in, do you have him? And then a better question is, does he have you? Does he have you? Did you know that he's as close as the mention of his name is what the prophet or the apostle said as he's preaching? 
if you'll receive him by faith. The one who died for you, rose again, now lives as the king of righteousness above all kings. He's the king of peace. He asks you to come to him. Come to him. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to give you exactly what you need in the way that you need it. Let's stand. We're going to sing together. Amazing love. How can it be that you might